about it. It is you. The people of God, the nation of God, is surrounded by hostile enemies. And God in grace and mercy goes to war against those enemies. And he defeats those enemies. And in thanksgiving, the prophet in Israel raises an Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance, so that Israel will never forget. So now that I've preached the sermon, let me give you the text. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. This is God's word. Let's pray that he will be with us as we think about it together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us as you have across the past this day. Thank you for being in our midst. Uh, And now do show your favor again and encourage our hearts from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This uh, passage is one of those passages we could live in. Uh, we could camp here for, for uh, several weeks. Uh, there is so much that we could, we could talk about. You could look at this passage and you could actually 
you could actually sort of find a, a summary, what I think you could call a kind of a summary of, of real and true spirituality. You could, you could find in some, some very wonderful ways the, the truths, core essential truths of the gospel as a person comes to understand the gospel, that, that, that the gospel really presupposes an understanding of sin and a need of repentance. And you see that here, this water that is poured out. These people are, are pouring out water in a symbolic way. It's a way of with, with their buckets and their pails and their pitchers. It's a way of, of simply expressing the desire to pour out their hearts before the Lord and, and empty themselves, empty themselves of their sin and their rebellion. And, and you know, when you dump water in loamy, sandy soil, it goes away and it never comes back. That's a beautiful thing. And then there's, there's someone who's interceding. You know, there's somebody who is praying, and, and that is Samuel. He's interceding for the people, praying for the people, and, and he offers a sacrifice for the people. And so there's something that's going on of a, of a priestly kind in this passage. And the gospel is all over that. It's all over that. Who is the greater Samuel? Who is the, who is the better Samuel? It's Jesus, the one even now, while we pray, the one who is interceding for his people, a people whom the Father had given to the Son and, and for whom the Son died and the Son is raised and he's exalted to the right hand of the Father and, and he's seated in glory and he's not just a king, but he's a priest who loves his people and who, who having offered himself as the pure, spotless, sacrificial lamb is now the priest who intercedes and prays for his people. I mean, how comforting. You know, if you say to me, would you pray for me? I'll say, sure, but I'll forget. I'm sorry. I'm being honest. You ask me to pray for you on Sunday, I tend to try to pray for people on Sunday because by the time Monday rolls around, I've forgotten. And so I say, send me an email so I won't forget. Jesus doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. Isn't it wonderful to know you don't have Samuel praying for you. You have the greater Samuel praying for you seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. Because Jesus has, has interceded and given himself as a sacrifice, he's the nursing lamb offered, you know. Now God is for us. He's always been for us, but there is a real vivid, powerful sense in which he is for us on this side of the cross. And he goes to war against our enemies. He goes to war against, against those forces, those principalities and powers that would destroy us and ruin us. But as he defended Israel against the Philistines, as he went to war against these physical earthly enemies, Jesus, the warrior king, wars against your enemies. He does. He is right now. There's just so much in this passage. And what I want to look at this morning is rocks, stones. The thing that is raised up by Samuel as a visible, tangible, material, physical, substantive reminder of all of these other things. That's what he's doing. You know, you... 
you've got to come to this passage and you have to see it through the lens that is Jesus Christ. You've, you've got to look back through that lens and see that this is all about Jesus. There are rocks under your chairs and in a few moments you're going to pick up those rocks and, and you're going to bring them to the front of this room and we're going to raise our own Ebenezer. And when we do that, what are we doing? We're doing more than dedicating this place to the glory and purposes of God. We're raising up a physical, visible, material, substantive memorial to his powerful, redeeming, saving, preserving, keeping grace and mercy. That's what this is about. It's not about buildings. We love buildings. Mark is right. For so long, this congregation, long before I got here, wandered, as it were, in a wilderness. And God in grace and favor has brought us to a temporary home. A temporary home. But it is a home. But it's not about the temporary home. It is about the grace that gets us here. It's about the grace that will keep us. It's about the grace that will take us home until we put aside what is temporary and we put on what is permanent and we inhabit what is permanent and will never go away, glorified in the new heaven and the new earth. What are these rocks all about? Rocks figure prominently in the unfolding story of God's redeeming purpose. It's a fun thing to trace the storyline of rocks. You go back to Genesis 12. Abram, when he first went into the land, does a stunning thing. He does a stunning thing. When he first goes into the land that was promised him, he goes through the region of Shechem. If you read Genesis 12, goes through that region and he gets to a tree, an oak. And what does he do at that oak? He builds an altar. What does he do? He digs in the ground. He digs in the ground, in the ground and makes an altar out of rocks. And when he makes that altar, God speaks to him and says, I'll give this land to you. This is going to be your land. I'll give it to you. Abram, in the midst of Canaan, in the midst of Canaanite worship surrounded by False gods, he erects an altar to the true God. What a stunning thing. Some of you may remember that when we had a little dedication service before this place was finished, a year and a half ago, I preached from that passage, Genesis chapter 12. And I imagined some Canaanites coming to Abram. Abram, who's built this altar out of these rocks. Some Canaanites coming to him and saying, Abram, this isn't your dirt This isn't your ground. These aren't your rocks. You're a foreigner. You're an alien. What do you think you're doing? You have no business doing this. And I can imagine Abram looking at those Canaanites and saying, it isn't yours either. It belongs to the one true God who made it. And I'm erecting an altar here as a memorial to him. And he goes from there. He leaves that particular place and he goes on to another place and he builds another altar. What is he doing as he erects these altars made of stones? He's declaring before the world that this land belongs to the Lord God and the Lord God is reclaiming it for himself. 
He's reclaiming it for himself. Rocks, stones. It's with a stone that David kills Goliath, the mocker of God, the insulter of God. It's by that rock, by that stone that he is brought down. It is with a stone, it is with a rock that the evil king Abimelech in Judges chapter 9 is killed, his head crushed, the stone dropped from the wall of the tower in the midst of the city of Thebes, dropped by a woman, a stone, kills the evil king. It's from a rock in the wilderness that the nation in the midst of the wilderness receives the sustaining waters that come from the rock that flow to the people so that they might live and not die. In Exodus chapter 21, when the Israelites are given instructions about building altars, they're told to make their altars of unhewn stones. They're to take rough, unhewn stones, not stones that have been worked on by stone workers, stones that have not been beautified by the artistry of sinful men, but rough-hewn stones because the artistry of sinful men contaminates, profanes what God has created and made pure. Stones, rocks, all across the Old Testament when Aaron is given a breast piece. On that breast piece, woven into that breast piece, are stones, precious stones. Each stone representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel, worn close to the heart of the high priest, worn over his chest, precious stones. When Nebuchadnezzar has his dream, Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2, and there is a stone, again, a stone that is not cut out by human hands, but a stone that is cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, by non-human hands, and that stone, that rock, destroys the kingdoms of of the world, the kingdoms of gold and silver and bronze and clay and iron. The rock is a kingdom. And when the kingdom comes into this world, it begins to bring low, to subdue, and even to demolish the kingdoms of this world so that that kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, gathers up all of those other kingdoms into itself. The temple the temple where God is pleased for his name to dwell, for his presence to be. The temple is made up of stones, massive stones, massive boulders built up together into a house for the Lord. And stones, rocks are piled up as memorials to the faithfulness and power of God. happens in the first chapters of Joshua when the people cross into the promised land. The priests carry 12 stones out of the river and when they get on the other side, they pile them up. And then it happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel 
raising an Ebenezer, a rock of remembrance to remind the people of his victory over the Philistines. Till now, to this place, Samuel says, you, O Lord, have been our help to this place. And in all of those cases, the diversity of illustrations and instances involving a stone or a rock, always, hear this, always, Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the pure, uncontaminated altar where he offers himself as a pure, perfect sacrifice and who then by his death and resurrection redeems not only a people for himself and not just a piece of real estate along the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, but the whole cosmos, the whole of heaven and earth. He himself is the greater David who crushes the head of the serpent, who slays the greater Goliath, the greater mocker and attacker of God's people. He himself is the stone, the rock that crushes the head of the vile serpent. And he himself is the rock carved, not with human hands, but as I said, a rock who is carved out of the mountain, who is the kingdom who comes into this world so that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever. He himself is the greater Aaron who carries not stones close to his heart, but the individual and precious names of his people graven in his hands, inserted into his heart with the point of a sword, carrying all of those precious names into the very presence of the Father there praying for them. And he himself is the stones of the temple. He is the temple which destroyed, was raised on the third day, never to die again, and in whom, with whom, we are being built up as living stones into a dwelling place for the Most High God. He is the stone which the builders rejected and who has become the corner stone. Do you see it? Do you see it? Everywhere and always, it's about Jesus. Find me a rock in the Old Testament and I'll take you to Jesus. You will see in him the fulfillment of everything that is promised in stones in the Old Testament. Underneath your chair, there is a stone. I'd like you to pick it up. If you can. And if it's too heavy, find a smaller one. I just want you to hold that stone and think about that stone in light of all of these things. I know way too much information, way too much information in light of all of these things that we've been saying. As you hold that stone and as you think about that stone, I want you to think about the things that Samuel said, hither 
by thy help I have come. To this point you have been our help. There are two things that he's saying as you hold that rock in your hands. He's looking backward. He's looking into the past. He's saying, you, God, you have brought me to this place. You have brought this nation to this place, to this point. You have been faithful. As you hold that rock in your hands and you think of Jesus the one who is the rock, the cornerstone rejected by men, but upon whom the whole of the church is being built. You see in that stone a reminder of your salvation and of God's faithfulness. In the past, he redeemed you. He delivered you. He saved you through the rock who is his son. He has given you the waters of life from the rock who is his son. He has crushed the head of the enemy through the rock, through the stone who is his son. And you can say right now, O God, by your grace, I am a living stone united to the living stone, the one rejected but precious in your sight. I am being built up into a house with my elder brother, Jesus, becoming a place where you will dwell forever. You're saying all of that and so much more as you look back. But you're saying a second thing. You're saying we're on the way. You've brought us safely to this place. To this place, by your help, we have come. And as we sang in the hymn, number 457, come thou fount of every blessing by the same faithfulness I expect to arrive safely at home. And I'll no longer need a rock to remind me. I'll have Jesus in front of me, the true rock, upon whose beauty I will gaze, into whose beauty I will be gathered up, there to enjoy him and the new heaven and the new earth forever. All of that represented and so much more by a rock that you hold in your hands. So as we dedicate this place to God, as we celebrate the gospel that has rescued us, redeemed us, given us the rock who is Jesus, we're going to raise an Ebenezer. I want to ask you to take those rocks, those rocks that you have in your hands, and I'm going to ask you to come to the front of the room, and I'm going to ask you to build an Ebenezer right over here. And if you've got an extra rock and a spare hand, pick up two. There are 200 rocks in this room. I'd like to have 200 rocks right up here. I want to raise, I want us to raise an Ebenezer. I want us to build a stone of remembrance, a visible, physical, tangible thing that will remind us, remind us that it is by Jesus' grace and might and power that we have come this far And the same grace and might and power will take us safely home. And if it's hard for you to get up out of your seat and come down to the front, find a proxy. 
have someone bring your stone. But we'll take time for this. These stones that we're going to erect here, they're going to stay here until we can find a mason, an appropriate place outside, and we'll carry them all out there and we'll have that mason slap them all together with mortar and we're going to put a bronze plaque on that thing with this text so that every time we pull into this parking lot, there will be a visual reminder for us that it is God by his grace who has brought us this far And we have the expectation that by the same grace, he will take us safely home. So I'm going to ask that we start at the back with Mark Parsons and with the longs. And I'm going to invite you to come down to the center or you can go around that side. But I'm going to ask everybody to go back by the right-hand side so that we don't have collisions. So come and bring your rocks and make the pile right here. You all just come on up. Back there, Debbie, come on. Bring the stones. I'm going to get the extras. This is the neatest altar call I have ever been a part of.
Why don't you grab a hymnal and turn to number 457 and we'll sing number 457 verse 2 and I'll just, I'll just get us pitched while the rest of these rocks are being piled up. Here I raise my... of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter, find my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts Sure, that's not the first Ebenezer that has collapsed. <laughs> Let me invite you to pray. Let us together, as we have raised this Ebenezer, this reminder of God's grace and faithfulness. Let us together pray, dedicating this place to His glory and his good purposes. Let's pray together. Ever-living Father, watchful and caring, our source and our end, all that we are and all that we have is yours. Accept us now as we dedicate this place to which we come to praise your name, to ask your forgiveness, to know your healing power to hear your word, and to be nourished by the body and blood of your Son. Be present always to guide and to judge, to illumine and to bless your people. Lord Jesus Christ, make this a temple of your presence and a house of prayer. Be always near us when we seek you in this place. Draw us to you when we come alone and when we come with others to find comfort and wisdom, to be supported and strengthened, to rejoice and give thanks, 
May it be here, Lord Christ, that we are made one with you and with one another so that our lives are sustained and sanctified for your service. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we may grow closer to you through joy and through suffering. Be with us in the fullness of your power as new members are added to your household, as we grow in grace through the years, when we are joined in marriage, when we turn to you in sickness or special need, and at the last, when we shall lay one another into the Father's hands. Now, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sanctify this place to the glory of your name, the gathering of the nations, and for the joy of all who come here. Amen. And let's stand together as we prepare to come to the Lord's table and sing before the throne of God above.